0: We're in a series called stereo we started off last week good news for a listening world NT Wright a theologian historian defines news this way that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place and we live in a time when a lot is happening as a result of which the world is a different place we see all kinds of news events coming across uh, the headlines uh, in the weeks and months behind us and surely to come some of them like the presidential race, which is, uh, I don't even know what to do about that. It looks a little crazy to me and a little scared for our future. The Supreme Court rulings that have been uh, pulled out this last year, the um, Planned Parenthood videos, the, the racial tension and violence erupting in our society, in our country, and there's many, many more that we could say and we could look at and say, something has happened As a result of which, the world is a different place and we're experiencing that all the time. This series is birthed out, though, of a tension that I've been feeling in my soul probably for maybe six to eight months. It's this tension that I've really been wrestling with uh, that has slowly moved from a tension in my soul to a personal conviction. And and the tension is this. In light of the news, in light of all that's happening around us, in light of the things that's happening uh, on the national stage and on the world stage, you know, I mean, just a a bombing, I think it was Iraq, was that where the, um, there's a, anyways, a lot, all, all, all around the world stuff's happening. There's then this internal tension that I felt of what do you say, especially as a follower of Jesus, what do you say and what don't you say? What is actually helpful for the conversation and what is actually harmful to the conversation? Where where and when do you speak up and when is it better to be silent? And and wrestling, here's the tension maybe best said, is what what must I say or what's most important to say? And, And I've really been wrestling with that tension and what i as i was studying i realized the early church wrestled with that same tension uh, if you don't know, the early church in the first 300 years of the existence, Jesus died, came back to life, and then this movement began, called the way, was persecuted right from the outset, and, and all the first 300 years was under intense persecution. They were minimized, marginalized, mistreated. They were misunderstood. There was all kinds of things at them. In fact, uh, historians who don't uh, wouldn't be followers of Jesus or would say that the The birth of the Christian church is a mystery because how it survived the intense persecution that not only it survived, but thrived in the midst of all that and became uh, the influence that it has today is a great and vast mystery. And I think you can look back at that mystery historically and come down uh, and answer it by this one thing that the early church got clear on that they had to say. And you know, he asked that question that tension of what 's going on around and and what 's you know uh, uh, politically correct or not, and what 's you know popular, what might distance me or maybe mess things up and, and they wrestled with all those same things and should, will I lose my job if I say this will you know I lose standing in the public square what, whatever they wrestled with that same Tension, and they came down to one thing that they, they just said, this is what we have to say. And by the way, we're not going to give a whole lot of commentary on all the other stuff. We're not going to dive into all the other stuff, but we're going to get so clear into a world that's listening. We believe we have good news. In fact, the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome would say it this way, and the church in Rome was at the epicenter of some of the greatest persecution in that day. In fact, Nero was a little bit of a madman, if you know history, and uh, he literally burned his city down. But uh, he also, at one time, would use Christians as, as candles, as torches for his parties, and he would light them to light his parties at night. And it's in the center of that type of environment at the The center where the Christians were taken out and being fed to lions for sport for an audience that cheered. It's in that environment where Paul says these revolutionary words I am not ashamed. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it crazy? Because I think there's a lot of things that that we hold, or maybe few things that we hold with such conviction that no matter who opposes us, no matter what's threat against us, we would say with such courage and clarity, I am not ashamed. And then he says what he's not ashamed of. I'm not gonna hold back. I'm not ashamed of the, help me out here, gospel. He says the one thing, the one thing that we must be clear on, the one thing in the midst of being mistreated and abused and persecuted and misunderstood and marginalized is the one thing, we, we're not gonna give commentary on everything, but this one thing we can't help but proclaim is the gospel, the good news. For and here's why, here's why. For it is the power of God. Something happens when you proclaim this news that transforms lives. For it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. This word gospel, we said it, it's the Greek word euangelion, and we unpacked that concept last week, and you can go back and listen to that. But but it literally means good news or news that makes you happy news that brings a smile or a delight. And when the early church wrestled with this internal tension that became a personal conviction for them, this is what we must say. They answered it in two parts. They answered it not just in what, but they answered it with the how. They didn't just get the content clear, but they answered it with how they're going to go about sharing it. In fact, they answered it the way Jesus answered it for them. He said, the what is the gospel? And we talked about that. We asked that question, what is the gospel? Asked week and then we we're answering it where we're calling it the gospel in stereo. What is the gospel in stereo? It's the what is the what we talked about last week and what is the how? And they answered, okay, it's the gospel, but it's not just it's not just words, it's how we go about our lives. And Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you that you love one another the way I've loved you. And then he would say this, this revolutionary thing. By this, the whole world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And when we're talking about the gospel in stereo, I gave this illustration last week, and I I showed you the greatest song of the 1980s love it, the greatest song of the 80s was Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. Yes, it is the greatest song. MJ, sorry. Madonna, no thank you. Prince, no. Bon Jovi won the greatest song of the 1980s. 80s but here's how we often play the song of the gospel in our culture today because we wrestle with this internal tension many of us as followers of jesus play it on our ipod well i guess we don't have ipods anymore iphone or whatever your device is and we, we literally play it with headphones and we're walking around listening to the song to ourselves but ignoring the world around us and we might take the headphones off when we're with each other and then as a result, the world hears this song, but they hear it very differently than the way it's been told and the way it was lived out in the early church. They hear it, and I had a megaphone, if you remember. They hear it through a megaphone, because some people got on this, and yet they, they, they just shout, and so much of it's, uh, it, it's just twisted in so many ways. And, and, and it's played over this megaphone, and the greatest song of the 1980s doesn't sound so great through a megaphone. But there's a massive difference if you're here and I put it in stereo and we had a little dance party. Well, at least I did. I don't know about you. (laughs) See, because this is so true and you know this to be true, it doesn't matter how beautiful or powerful the song. If it's played on the wrong platform, it just sounds like noise. And the platform for the gospel, the what is the gospel, the how, the how is love. In fact, Jesus would say, it's not just any kind of love, it's loving others the way Jesus loved you. Self-sacrificing, unconditional love. It says, that is what changes. By this, the whole world will know. You are my disciples. That is the platform. And so this morning, we want to ask a little different question. We, we covered the what last week, we covered the how. I, I want to cover the Why? I want to cover, you know, why was this good news so compelling? In fact, the Apostle Paul to a church in in Corinth uh, would write this, for the love of Christ compels me. That that there's something so powerful about it, he couldn't help himself. Why is it, and let me ask it this way, why was this one thing the early church decided to say when it came with so much pain? Think about it. If they didn't say it, they would have been just fine. It was this one thing, and this one thing brought such opposition and persecution and alienation and discrimination, and ultimately many gave their very lives for it. What was it about this? Why? You ever ask that question, why? It may be said another way. What is so powerful about this gospel or maybe said yet another way what what is so good about the good news and so this morning i want to simply t- teach the words to the song the gospel now there's an inherent danger to this because for many of you you, you, you have heard this before and I'm going to teach you something that if you're my age or older, you're actually used to this one verse. So you're so familiar with it. You saw it in the end zones in football games. They don't do that anymore, but they had this one verse, and someone will be holding up a sign, John three sixteen, uh, in the end zone uh, football games. And I, I don't know why they don't do that anymore. Maybe because it doesn't work, I guess. I don't know. Um, or no one knows what that means anymore. Jin. Gen 360, what does that mean, Gen? Okay. Uh, And so you have this thing that we're so familiar with, and here's what we know about familiarity. Familiarity breeds what? Come on, contempt. See, ultimately, we can hear this song and we think we know it. We can hear this song and think, man, I've got it all covered, uh, the other day, I, w- I was on a plane, and I like to say that because I don't fly very much, and it sounds like I fly all the time, um, but I, I, it was a couple weeks ago. I hopped on a plane from San Jose to LA, and by the way, you single people have it so good, you don't even know, and so anytime you get on a plane, if you get on a plane, just like, go oh man, this is the best ever, okay, because here's the deal. When you get on a plane, There's no one tugging on your pants, you know? You don't have to worry about a little kid in security crying and getting car seats and all this kind of stuff. It's just utter bliss. It's amazing. Single people, I'm telling you, enjoy it while it lasts. It's awesome. If you don't have kids, go like, woo, let's go on a date. You want to fly? Yeah, let's go fly. This is great. And so I happened—my family was in L.A. with my wife's family on a vacation, and I was working. I came down to visit them later, so I got on a flight. But it was just me. It was amazing. I thought this was heaven. It's like, unbelievable. You know, planes used to be purgatory. You're stuck in this cage and you can't get out of it and these kids are driving you nuts. And, and now it's like, this is bliss. This is amazing. And so get through line, my wife even upgraded me. I was flying southwest to business select. I'm like, <clears throat> All right, what's up? I'm Business Select. Thank you very much. I get on the front of the plane. I got extra leg room. Like This is pretty darn good. And I got my Kindle out and I'm reading. In fact, I was reading for this and I was like, this is the best ever. I I just wish I could have rid, rid, rid. Yeah, we're going to speak good English too. I just rode the plane the entire time. I could have done like five hours. I'm like, this is amazing. And, and you know what happens in a plane at the very beginning? And because I was at the very front on the aisle, I had the extra length room. This lady walks out, and she begins her spiel. You know, she begins the spiel about safety tips and all this and, and plug the seatbelt in, which I, I never really understood because if there's a real plane crash, I, wouldn't it just take you in half? I mean, it just doesn't seem like that's really going to save you. And then, you know, put your mask on and all that kind of stuff. And what I realized is I didn't even notice She started. Because I was so engrossed in my book, and I look up, and she's halfway done, and she actually doesn't even care that I noticed, didn't notice, that she started. And I realized that's oftentimes what we do as followers of Jesus when we're talking about the gospel, is we are so familiar with it, we think we have it down and as a result, we begin to dismiss, we begin to ignore, we begin to go, well, that's not for me. Been there, done that. Why? Well, because I've heard it before. I know it. And by the way, I've never been in a plane crash, so it's not really that applicable to me. Okay, thank you very much. And if I am in a plane crash, I don't know that I'm going to remember what you say anyway. So, and we do this with the gospel. And we sit back and we just go, and here's, here's my prayer. That what we talk this morning about will move from being an internal tension to a personal conviction that your heart would be lit afresh if you are a follower of Jesus with the wonder and all of God's love for you so much that you, like Paul, are compelled you can't help it. It's just burning inside of you. And I pray if you're here and you don't, you've never heard this before, that you would hear why we're so passionate as followers of Jesus and why we can't help but not share this good news. So what is the words to the song? I want to teach them to us. In John three 16, you're maybe familiar. Let's just read it out loud uh, together. You ready? For God so... I want to say this section did really good. I, you, okay, okay. It was good. It was good. It was a little... Uh, <laughs> that wasn't very loving, right? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For God so loving... Let's just break this down just a little bit when we're talking about the words to the song. What's so good about the good news? What's so powerful about it? Uh, and let's just start here. For God. It starts with God. Now, here's what's interesting when we talk about the concept of God. Hey, you probably know this already, but 74% of Americans believe there is a God, believe there is some, uh, some being that is created, all that we see and know. Now, the idea behind this that's so important is if there is not a God, then there is no purpose, right? There is nothing, there is no meaning in life, it is so. This is one of those things because if there is no God, this is an accident. Okay, we're all put together by happenstance, and so as a result, there is nowhere this is heading to. There is no meaning behind it. And fundamentally, one of the deep questions that every single human being asks, uh, that we all ask, is 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 what? You may say it in different words, but but why am I here? It's always a purpose question. What is my purpose? What is my significance? In fact, I was talking to one guy last night and he called it this. He called it every single person asks this question and I know he made it. he called it empty space. He Said there there's empty space in my soul empty space in my heart that I've tried to fill, and I've tried to fill it with all sort of things, and sometimes they satisfy, but only for a brief moment. But ultimately, I can't fully find my purpose or satisfaction. It's the starting point, because if there isn't a God, then give up, okay? But if there is a God, then there is purpose and meaning to life. In fact, here's what I believe. I believe it actually takes more faith to believe that there is no God than to believe that there is a God. I mean, if you just do a cursory study of the human body and begin to unpack how intricately designed everything is you, you will ultimately see that this couldn't be an accident. Just, I mean, just look at the eye and the intricacies of how an eye is put together and, and all that has to happen for it to receive light and then for it to communicate to the brain and for us to process that. And you go, wow, that happened by accident over chance for a long period of time. But then on top of that, not only do we have a seeing eye, we have functioning organs. And on top of that, we have a brain that is cognitive and able to reason that's a big one, by the way. Able to reason and understand the world around us. That's rational. And you guys that are rational engineers, you should be going like, wow, there must be a God because of the way I think. See, it takes more faith to believe there is no God than there is a God. And it starts off this way, for God, and then what's the next line? Help me out. So what? Yeah. Loved. Yeah. This is the song now, this is radical, by the way, in the ancient Near East and, 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 and a lot of the way the world works is what you had is you had, you had the temple form of religious worship or tribal worship and, and there wasn't this idea in the ancient Near East of a God who loves you. That's actually a, a unique to Judaism and Christianity. Uh, what it was was, man, that's a terrible E too, by the way, wasn't it? Man, all right. You can see my, all right, there we go. I couldn't let that go. All right, but but here, where was I? Okay, but here's what it was. You had a capricious God who who you had to try to appease. And so you brought sacrifices. You brought things to appease the God. And sometimes it was food. Sometimes it was grain. Sometimes it was animal. Sometimes it was even your own kid to make sure that you got a good crop, to make sure you had good health, to make sure that everything was okay. And if you did something bad, then you made a sacrifice. And as human beings, we understand that. We feel this temple tension or this tribal tension, something ingrained in the that there needs to be a sacrifice to appease our relationship between us and other and so as a result there is this appeasement or that we try to coerce and this is what the early religions were is either appease the god or coerce them and i'm going to bring this offering i'm going to bring this thing because i don't like my neighbor and i want something bad to happen to them and they were kind of mean to me and so i'm going to bring this to somehow harm them and by the way we say it far more sophisticated but it's still temple and tribal still exist in our culture today and we fundamentally look at it and somehow think that God is someone to be appeased that he's looking at you and going I, I can't wait for you to mess up because when you do guess what I'm going to pop you and you ever play what, what is it Was it guacamole God's like that's my favorite game, and you're a mole. Boom! I <laughs> got you. Oh, got you. <laughs> got you. <laughs> and God, I'm sorry, that got into that. Um, and God says, and that's how we begin to treat God. And His first affirmation is, "Okay, there is a God." And the question we ask when we come to that realization is, "What kind of God is He? Is He out to get me? Is He against me, or is He for me?" And the good news, and by the way, this is such good news, is that the attitude, the affection of the creator of the universe towards you is one of love. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what they couldn't help but share no matter what was going on and no matter what you put against the early church. They said, wait a second, there's a God. I know we talk about God and there's not lots of gods. There's a God who created all that we see and he loves you. That's radical. You don't have to earn. You don't have to try. You don't have to fix yourself up. But who does he love? The question is then. Well, well, he can't love everyone. It says for God so love what? The world. I I don't know about you. But that's got to be uh, that's that, well that's that's pretty inclusive a statement I'd guess. Well, I'd say that's really in- inclusive. I, I, well, I'd say that's about as inclusive as you can get. Who do you love? The world. Who, 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 like what part of the, no, 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 the, the world. Uh, yeah, but in a certain, don't you like a certain part a little bit better? Yeah, the part I like better is world, I just want to get that out there. It's the whole world. It's not like a part of the world. It's not like, hey, you're, you know, this type of person, so I love you more, and you're this type of person, so I don't love you less. And you know what? This race, this ethnicity, this gender, hey, no, 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 no. The world. I just got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, okay, sorry. Anyway, no, nobody grew up in Sunday school with me. Okay. And, and God says, Okay, my attitude and affection towards you, and I love you. And it's not dependent on where you've been or what you've done, how good you are. It's not dependent on getting your life fixed up and getting everything all straight. I love you because I love you. Period. This is radically good news, but the question then is like, okay, for God so loves the world, uh, well, how do we know that that He really loves us? That He what? Help me out. Gave. Now this is what separates Christianity from every world religion, and it's what is the difference between what I call a religion, and I know I have terrible handwriting. And relationship see ultimately religion is simply this man working his way or woman working her way to God it's the tribal it's the temple it's the appeasing model of saying I am somehow going to work my way and I'm going to appease and if I do it enough and I'm gonna work my way to God What God's saying here is, by the way, I worked my way to you. I don't want a religion. I want a relationship. And I don't actually consider myself very religious. In fact, I don't think I'm religious at all, but I'm passionately in love with Jesus, my Savior, who saved me, and I've been changed by that, and I can't help but talk about it because it's a living, ongoing relationship, and I'm different as a result. I don't know about you, but he gave his only son. So God so loved the world. How do we know that he loved? He gave. Instead of somehow having to work our way to him, God says, I'm working my way to you. That's good news. That's ridiculous news. Try harder. No, sorry. God did it. Well, how do do I experience that? How 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 do I step in and experience that type of life transformation? How do I experience that type of love? How do I experience a relationship with the God of the universe? It says God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever what Believe. believes. Now this is a word that we use to mean all sorts of things. Let let me tell you what it meant in the in the to the early church, because. Pff, Primarily the way we use it in church world today, and you might not be familiar with church world, so good for you. But the way we use it is intellectual assent. If I have an intellectual assent, I I cognitively believe, and so I believe this to be true, and so I intellectually say, this is true, and that's all there is. That's not what this word believe means. What it means is I trust you with all of my life. I trust, I'm putting my trust with all of my life. I mean, so, uh, here. I can talk about how much I believe in this chair. I think it's a sound chair, a beautifully constructed chair, and it is, it will hold me. But I can talk all day about it, but until I sit on it, It's just words, and at this moment when I say, I trust this chair with all my weight, it's really putting your money where your mouth is, or, well, you know, Um, let's not go there. That's what it means to believe. I love how John Ortberg says, faith is coming to believe with my whole body what I say I believe with my mind. See, that's what this means. It doesn't mean I intellectually assent, God loves me. I believe it to the point that I'm stepping out and living life differently. I, I believe it to the point where, where I'm going to let him take control of my life. I believe it to the point that Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the will. Oh, sorry. Uh, but, but, but come on. Because so many times, belief is not saying, Jesus, be the co-pilot of my life, and I'm going to drive. Belief is saying, God, you drive, you determine, you set the course, and I am sitting over here, and I'm going to let you determine the way. And here's why you can do that. One, because he's God. He created all that there is, and he created you. Second, he loves you. And so his intentions and plans for you are for your very best, for your good, not to harm. And how do you know that? Well, he gave his life for you. And so you can, in response, say, "Uh, I believe. I trust you with my whole life. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but, what? Have eternal life. Now, we treat this word like it's all about heaven later. And honestly, when you hit something heavy, uh, you know, maybe a friend died or you hit something, it, it, you begin to ask the big questions of life. You begin to wonder and wrestle what happens next. In fact, Ecclesiastes, uh, I think it's 311. You can just go check and see if I'm right. But, but says this, that that God has set eternity on our hearts. And so there is this this concept, this reality that we we actually realize that now is more, there's more to than, let's try the rewind. There's more to this than what we're currently living, that there is a next. And every human being says, okay, God set eternity. Okay, this is not all that there is. But here's what eternal life, when the writer John of this gospel wrote, he wrote life now and forevermore. See, salvation, the good news, wasn't good news someday later. It was someday now. Now. He wants to change your life now. He wants to transform your life now. He wants to bring the kingdom of God and life and purpose and the empty space. He wants to fill it because we're wrestling with this. He wants to fill it with significance. He wants to fill it with purpose. He wants to fill it with peace and forgiveness. All of that, the Bible calls new life. In fact, the gospel writer John in the same John 3 chapter, would say, talk about being born again spiritually, new birth life now. See, and we kind of talk about it like this is a save-the-date from God. <laughs> you know, you ever got one of those save-the-dates and maybe somebody's wedding or a party and you have this save-the-date and you're going like, you know what, I believe all this and so I got this save-the-date and so it doesn't do me much good now. <laughs> Thank you very much. It doesn't do a whole lot of good now, but I got it so in case I need it for later in the next life, perhaps, I pull out and you can say, hey, I got a save-the-date. Here you go. I got this save-the-date. What do you think about this? I have it. I said this and the power that paul was talking about we said i'm not ashamed was that it changes fundamentally your life now and forevermore your whole eternity your new life begins in this moment moving forward on into eternity with god relationship with god now when i share this good news with people and oftentimes it's like over coffee, or it's at a restaurant, it's in a, um, I, I uh, yeah, I always have a pen in my pocket, and there's often a napkin around me. And if you've ever had a meeting with me, what you realize is I ride on a lot of napkins. I know it's not very green, but I do. And uh, sometimes people take napkins with them. Sometimes they don't. I don't. I'm not sure how I feel about it when they don't. Uh, but I guess that wasn't a very good meeting. But. The ones they do take, that was. But I I always draw this picture, not always, but oftentimes in the course of conversation, I'll draw this picture out, and I hope maybe it might be helpful, uh, and maybe helpful for you in making this connection of what's so powerful about the gospel. And, And so I draw a picture, one of this, you know, one, as you can see, I am a Incredible artist. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I draw a picture of, OK, here's, here's a person, and it's you or me, And here's what we know, and, and this is what I do know to be true out of multiple conversations, is as my friend was talking about last night, is we all live with empty space. We do. There's an empty space in every single person's soul. Some people call it a God-sized hole or God-shaped hole because you try to fill that with everything. You try to fill that with pleasure. You try to fill that with success. You try to fill that with doing good deeds. You try to fill that with all sorts of things. And it may it may satisfy for a season, but, but it ultimately... It's quick and it's hollow and it's empty and you keep searching for the next. Because ultimately, like we just said, we just wrote out, we're ultimately on a search for purpose, right? Let's work on my spelling. Purpose. Significance. These are the deep questions. Significance. There you go. Meaning. Hope. Peace joy, forgiveness. Anything else? I, I'm, you guys got anything else for me? What did I search for? And ultimately, those are the things I, I call new life. Now, this is just my experience. My experience is that only if there is a God and he created us, we just talked about, then only God can truly provide those things. And so there is, this, there is this gap. We all fill it. We fill this gap between us and between purpose, significance, meaning in life. And you may not be able to put words into place, but uh, it's ultimately a gap between us and what I'd say is a relationship with the God of the universe, so stepping into a relationship with the one you were ultimately created for. Now, the way the Bible explains this gap, because you got to wrestle with, well, why is that gap here? It says in Romans three twenty three, it says, um, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Now, sin is just simply this. It's one of those religious words that uh, we don't like too much anymore, but it's it's actually a very powerful word. Sin simply means to miss the mark. It's it's the idea that an archer pulls back his bow and shoots and aims for a target, but he's off target, he misses. That's, that's what this word sin means. And, and all it means is that if God is holy, if God, if everything in God is right and pure, and, and, and so we're kind of aiming for a life that is full of significance and purpose and meaning and right with God, that we've missed that mark. That we just pulled back and said, okay, you know what? We just miss the mark. Now, here's the consequences. Here's the reason he says for all of sin, and really every single person, we're all on the same, in the same place. Every single person fills this gap between us and God. But he then goes on to explain, here's the consequences of it. Here's the reality. Here's what sin did. And, well, let me back up. The reason I know all of us are in that boat is because we've all uttered this one phrase. I'm sorry. See, we haven't kept, <laughs> we, we can't keep our own standard of goodness, our own standard of rightness, let alone God's standard of goodness or God's standard of rightness. And our I'm sorry is simply a public confession of like, I didn't even keep my own standard. And so and we go like, yeah, we're all in the same boat and we all understand we're in that boat because we all feel this gap. For the wages of sin is death. And then it says this. Here's the consequence: the wages of sin is death. Well, that's kind of intense. Death simply means separation. And I, you know, if I sit in a coffee shop and talking with you, I'll I'll draw something along these lines. We may draw all kinds of other stuff down, but separation. Sin always separates. See the life God calls us to isn't like wow this it is life as it is always intended to be lived it's tr- life and true life alone and sin always causes separation if you have an affair on your spouse does it make you closer or farther away from your spouse thank you this is the response portion thank you very much if you lie to your friend does it make you closer or farther away If you gossip about them behind their back, does it make you closer or farther away? If you steal from your employee, does it make you closer or farther? Come on, come on. We get this. Everyone understands. It separates you, and ultimately, the end is it separates us from God. And then we go back to our tribal, to our temple way of doing things and going, you know what, religion— I'm going to try religion. You know what? I don't like religion because they tell me what to do. I don't like that at all. I'm going to try to fulfill this void right here. Pleasure. No, no, no. You know what? Upward mobility. Success. And yet, they all fall short. They all miss it. They never fully fulfill. And that is the good news of the gospel. Is then... I was trying to figure out what color to use. Thank you. Is when we see, but God demonstrates his love for us. That though we couldn't work to him and the things we look to fulfill ultimately leave us unfulfilled, dissatisfied. Even when we cognitively go, we don't want anything to do with you and don't want you, even in that moment, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we we're yet sinners Christ died for us and God says, I want to bridge that gap and fill your soul with life purpose and significance meaning hope peace joy forgiveness that that is the good news that is what is so powerful about the gospel. That is why the early church couldn't stop talking about it. It's like, you, you know, you ever get a new app, and you get a new app, and it's so amazing, and you just can't help but share it with people around you. Like, dude, I got this new app. It's called Awakening Church app. It's awesome. You can try that, uh, but and it's a poor illustration, but when you've gotten something so good, you just want to tell everybody around you. It can't be contained inside you. Uh, this morning, I had something kind of weird happen. <laughs> um, I woke up this morning. Normally on Sundays, I I, I generally get up early. But on Sundays, I tried to get up a little extra early to get my my heart and mind prepared, review the notes for where we're going, and uh, and so. I had my alarm set at 4.30, and I also had a backup alarm at 5, and so I didn't sleep well at all last night, and so uh, 4.30 came along, and you know how when you don't sleep well, you just finally start to sleep when your alarm goes off, or at least that's how it feels, (laughs) and and so I turned it off knowing, like, okay, 5 o'clock, I'll get up, and so 5 o'clock comes around, I get up, I get dressed, and... And so then as I'm heading out of the house, I, I see a guy standing in the street leaning up against my neighbor's truck. I'm going like, dude, what? <laughs> That's kind of weird. And so I stop and my first thought is like, okay, who's this weirdo? You know, 5 a.m. Who's up at 5 a.m. on Sunday? Oh. And and so then I back up the car, roll down the window, and I go, hey, hey man, um, you okay? And he goes, no response. Like, dude, are, dude, you okay? No response. Just look at it. I go, do you know where you are? <laughs> is my next question, you know. <laughs> and still kind of no response. And then you go, no, no. And, and then he just gets on, like, I'm trying to have a conversation with the guy. He just gets on his phone, and he's starting to yell at his girlfriend, like, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and then I said, do you need a ride? Do you need a ride home? And he's like, I got this really nice guy, like, talking to me. He says he will give me a ride. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I will. And he's like, yeah, I think he's, like, sent from heaven or something. Hell, well, I don't know. I said, Well, get in the car. He gets in the car. Uh, and I asked him, I, I look at him, I, I knew the answer to the question, but I said, rough night? <laughs> I could. And he's like, yeah. I mean, he was at a party with his girlfriend and friends, and somehow in the midst of the party and a lot of drinking, he got left. <laughs> and so he was wandering the streets of Willow Glen all night long. And just think about it, because I, I talked about the right time, and I just I had to make this connection. Think about if I got up at 4.30, God said, at just the right time when we were still powerless. And and I just love that that delay of the snooze was just in God's timing and he had just the right time when our paths would meet. And we're sitting in this car and we're starting to have a conversation and he said over and over this phrase, dude, thank you so much. You found me. You saved me and brought me home. And he just kept saying it over and over. Thank you so much. You found me. He was clearly distraught. Felt so lost and so hopeless. And I mean, obviously he was drunk so there was a lot of tears involved in the whole thing. You saved me. You brought me home. And I got to his house and his girlfriend, he was trying to keep his girlfriend from driving, which is very good as well. Um, And and I said, hey man, can I just pray for you? Yeah. And so we just sat in the car and I just prayed a very simple prayer just to to tell him about, you know, just that he would understand how much God loved him, this moment that God planned and worked out for him. And that he'd come to know Jesus. And then I handed him, I happened to have, I had a little awakening business card. And we just made these, which was kind of cool. And by the way, it's the first time we've ever made business cards. And we don't make business cards like for me. Uh, I've never had a business card. We wanted to make business cards for everyone. So they're blank, you know, not blank like just blank, but they have awakening on them. And you can write your own name on them. You can get them on outside. And so it's just so cool. I said, here's here's my business card. He's like, it doesn't have a name on it. It's Ryan, Okay. (laughs) I said, I'd love to talk with you another time. If you would reach out to me, I'd love to talk to you another time. And he got out of the car. Now, here's, this is just so powerful. Don't miss this. To personally experience the power of the gospel, you have to come to a place in your life where you finally admit you're lost where you can, not where you're in the street and you don't know where home is and you don't know where to go and you're just wrestling and going, I can't, I'm lost. And then, then there's tr- this transaction of belief. See, I offered him a ride to take him, it was like 10 minutes away, it wasn't that far but he didn't have to get in the car. And why he got in a stranger's car, he must have been desperate, I guess so. See, it is only until you get in the car and entrust your life into the Savior's hands that you truly experience the power of the gospel. And I'm, I'm afraid that so many people feel this. You're just simply going, yeah, I don't really know about that. You feel lost. You have the empty space, and you're kind of doing the religious thing, but the Christianized version. But underneath it, you've never said to the point where, Jesus, I need you. You drive. I'm getting in the car. Go for it. And you're kind of sitting in the street, still hurting. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You will step over from death or empty space to life. In this moment, as we close, I just want to give an invitation. If you're here and you, you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, in fact, you didn't know how good the gospel was. You didn't know it was powerful, that it brings life. In fact, as I've talked, you've experienced, you've experienced something. There's an internal longing and yearning and burning inside, and that's the Spirit of God moving. I'd invite you, just simply pray after me. And I'm just going to ask for, that everyone would actually, because I don't think anybody should pray alone, that that you would just pray with me out loud together as we pray. Dear God, I need you. Will you come into my life and make me new? I believe you came for me, that you died for me, and you came back to life That I might have new life. Today, I give you my life. Would you give me a new life in return?